I found the. I, I found find it. it. I found it. I found the the document saying it was made. So did I, because there was the, the USS Mass. There was the postage stamp. It was about a Liberty it. ship. So that's model talk. No, this is a model talk. <laughs> this Listen, is a model talk. There was a like there was USS Liberty... Maslin. Yes, there was a Liberty ship, ship back in World War II. There, there was the bomber. Yes, but there was also the USS Maslin. It was one of the Liberty ships they pumped out like one a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we can't. Uh, both Jim and I saw that in the past, and we can't it find once. it anymore. Everybody hmm. sees the. The plane. Everybody seems the bomber. The bomber. Yeah. yeah. But there was also a ship with a big ass OB on it. And by the way, that but we that can't find a picture of Type D. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Shut up and sit down. And welcome to the week three edition of the Black Swarm Podcast. Hank Pfeiffer here with Rob Antonell and special guest, recurring guests actually now, J.P. Simon. Happy to be here, fellas. Thanks for the invite. Yes, sir. Happy to have you here. So, uh, you know, big uh, victory against what we can technically call a football team in that they were all out there in matching uniforms and helmets and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Coming into, uh, you know, getting into a game against Warren this week. So uh, let's just get into it. I guess sure. start off on Bishop Sycamore. You know yep. what we thought of the game and all that. Yeah, uh, I tell you what. From the outside looking in, I, I don't know if you guys could tell they were they were really big football team. Um, you know, coming off the bus or into, into the stadium, we could tell right away that we were going to have our hands full. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had some size, they had some speed. They were a very physical team. Um, I know not a lot of people got a chance to be there in person, but it, but if you could see it up close, there was a lot of there was some collisions on that field all night. Uh, I th- I think it was a really good test for us. You know, week one was kind of strange with the lightning delay. Um, and nothing in 2020 at this point seems normal. It's all a little bit strange, but with the rain delay, the lightning delay, actually week one, um, Week two was a really good experience for us. Obviously, Jay Crable stepped in at quarterback, got his first action, um, really tested us physically in that game. Uh, there was a lot of penalties we obviously want to clean up from last week. Uh, that kind of carried over a little bit from week one. We got to do a better job with the penalties. But I think overall it was a really good test last week to see where we stood kind of physically, and this team's definitely ready to hit you. Uh Going into Warren, Warren's going to be a much more disciplined team. Uh, they got a quarterback, third-year starter coming back. I was reading an article. Uh, I want to say they called him like Record Book or something is his nickname because he's kind of <laughs> rewrote the Record Book passing over there at Warren. Uh, so we got a challenge this week. They're going to be athletic just like Warren Harding always is. I think they got a little stability now with the coaching staff. Same guy's been there a couple years. And you can really see on film, it's, it's going to be a good opponent, good test. Uh, you know, return like I said, three-year quarterback coming back. Got to be on our toes defensively. Um, I know them guys over on the offense, they're, they're ready to rock too. Uh, got a lot of good teaching tape from last week's game that, that, that we'll look at and improve on going forward. Yeah, I mean, going back to last week, like you said, I mean, Bishop Sycamore definitely had some really big kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a pretty good test. I mean, obviously, you know, they weren't the most disciplined team. Right. They weren't right. the most polished team in the world. But, you know, just athletically, you mm-hmm. know, they had some kids. They had some really big kids. And, you know, that's a test within itself. 
Um, and I think, you know, we stood up against that pretty well, mm-hmm. you know, especially with, you know, a lot of things that we had going on mm-hmm. last week. Sure. Um, so I think that was a pretty good test. You know, going into Warren, you know, we knew coming out of last year that they were going to have a lot of kids coming back this right. year. Right, Um, And, I mean, yeah, like you said, that coach has been there for a little while and, you know, returning that many kids. And we always know Warren has athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. never a shortage of athletes. So, um, you know, I, I missed the Booster Club meeting last night. Yeah, last, last night. night yeah. Um, uh, so I, I didn't really get the full scouting report on him, like you know what Nate would have told you, Hank, or you know everybody that's there. Not sure, you know, not any inside information, but um, whatever was said at the booster club meeting. But you know we know we have they have a lot of kids coming back. They have a lot of athletes. Um, but I mean, what else can you really tell us about him, Hank? Um, well, I actually can't tell you much just because I also wasn't there. Mm. I missed the meeting too. Uh, oh man, Jim's over there waving his hand. Yeah, I thought you. Were, I thought you saved for the whole thing. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but I just. I also want to touch on you know uh, Bishop Sycamore. Yeah, mm-hmm. that those kids were big, big and like, grown. Yes, mm-hmm. big and grown. I mean, mm-hmm. but also like sloppy. Mm-hmm. There is a thing to be said about like a kid that's on paper. You know, what what was that Sam linebacker like? They had some size over there. Yeah. And you kind of saw as the game went on, it, it kind of the, the, the conditioning factor kind of mm-hmm. stepped in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think number three is who you might be referring to. He met a couple of our linemen in the hole playing Sam linebacker. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I mean, he was a load. Uh, oh, I don't yeah. know if you guys caught it. He stepped in at quarterback oh, a couple yeah. snaps. Mm-hmm. And he, For sure. He threw a ball about 70 yeah. yards off his yeah. back foot, yeah. and we all kind of just looked at each other. Yeah. Like, we didn't see that on film. Yeah. And they, they have some speed out there on their perimeter, you know. Kudos to our corners for doing a really good job running with them mm-hmm. guys. But that quarterback had an arm on him, too. Yeah, I mean, that, that number three we were talking about. Yeah. In, yeah. And I, I think I, – I, we don't have the paper anywhere, do we? Um, I think they had him listed at, like, 240. Yeah, no chance. What no number? Way. Number three. three. Number three. Number three. All right, I think I can find him. Oh, yeah, number three. Uh, 6'2", 240. 240. All right, not a chance he, he was not anywhere under 260. There was a point where I'm – because I'm talking to Jim I was at the game. Yeah. I was like, Jim, dude, that's Sam. He looks huge because I saw him crashing on a yeah. run play. Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. headhunting. He was headhunting yeah. for sure. Big boy. But, like – they lined up, and he's like next to um, Rankle. Yeah, and there was not a huge difference between him and Rankle. Right, it's like, right. oh, yeah. oh, like, that's a big boy. Rankle's who's legit six five, yeah. six six, two ninety. Yeah, he might yeah, not be quite as tall, yeah, but right. I mean, this was a big boy. Yeah. He, was, he was an athlete too. Yeah. No, you pointed him out in the group text. I was watching at home, and I look, and I'm like, what is that defensive mm-hmm. tackle doing playing out there at Sam Linebacker? Because that was Bigums. Yeah. He he threw one in pregame. They put him in at quarterback, and he mm-hmm. launched one. So we yeah. kind of saw it in pregame, and a little surprised we didn't see that on film. But all right, yeah. so I have a question for you yeah, yeah. as being part of the coaching staff. Yeah. Um. So I was at the game. I was there pretty early. Yeah. I watched a lot of the warmups and everything, and this might have been a coincidence. Um. But I noticed that they never really warmed up the same time we were. Did it seem like they were, and they also, when they were warming up ahead of time, they didn't have jerseys on, they didn't have numbers on or anything. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's not super uncommon. Did you get the impression they were trying to, like, hide themselves from you guys? Or did it just work out time-wise that I, way? I, I'll be honest with you. To, to start is I, I'm really so locked into what our mm-hmm. guys are doing that I might give them a peek down there at the very end whenever, you know, we're getting all hyped up, ready to get a get a, a, a pregame talk going or something to find some fuel. But 
I'm pretty locked into what our guys are doing and uh, our guys are extremely focused. You know, we do like a light indie where we go out there in shorts and a t-shirt similar, um, walk through some basic stuff, go back in, get dressed, come out. So with all that going on, it's really hard for me to kind of notice okay. what the other, but I, I'm assuming that that was probably just kind of a coincidence thing. Um, we knew they had some athletes coming in and some size coming in, uh, but when they got off that bus to see it in person, I happened to be standing in the corner of that end zone. A couple of them guys got off that bus, and so we knew we had our hands full up front. Yeah. Um, so, like, for people that weren't there, didn't notice, um, so what you guys were doing, your early, your mm-hmm. early stuff, mm-hmm. right? You guys mm-hmm. aren't wearing pads or anything Correct. yet either. Correct. Um, they were just kind of walking around. They were getting taped up. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't doing much. They did all of their indie work after you guys went back into the locker room. Okay. When you guys came back out in pads, they went to the locker room. Gotcha. And then when you guys got done with teamwork, they came out. But what they, I don't think they understood was that it was 10 minutes before game time and our band was about to take the field. Mm. So they just took the field to do team Mm -hmm. and our band basically kicked them off the field. Gotcha. Gotcha. So like I don't I didn't know if they were just always twenty minutes behind or if they were trying to hide. And it almost makes it seem like you would hide better when yeah. our team was on the field than not. But I, I just didn't know if that was something that We we take a look there at pregame to see if they come out into anything. Like I said, we noticed the quarterback throw one deep on uh, number mm-hmm. three, but I didn't really notice anything too out of the ordinary pregame. Us. And then just one last thing pregame. Yeah. Um, because we were under the impression that they only had like 18, 19 kids on their team. Mm-hmm. And then they ran out with like 35, 36. Was right. that, is that something you guys pick up on? Uh, does it even matter? If you if, if you don't have film, does it matter? Yeah, I was just going to say that the film we had on them was was pretty much all from last year. Their week one got canceled. Um, so, so we had a little bit of element of surprise. We didn't really know for sure what was going to get off that bus and what was going to walk onto the field. We knew they were going to be big and physical uh, going into it, athletic going into it. I, I think I want to say even the one safety, Norwood was his last name, was a part of that LaSalle State Championship mm-hmm. team. Yeah. Yep. So we knew they had some guys. Like they weren't just some scrubs coming in here that was going to lay down. Um, and that's kind of what we preach to our guys all week is just fight four quarters. We're, we, don't, we don't have a lot of info and a lot of game planning on, on our opponent. Um, and I, it was a little bit of that week one, too, with no scrimmages this year. And mm-hmm. not, not only not knowing who your opponent is, we're still trying to kind of figure out who we are. You know, we haven't seen guys in live action against a different color jersey in, since the state championship game last year. So, you know, we're still kind of learning who we are mm-hmm. a little bit through these first couple weeks. Um, kind of getting into the, like, actual game, mm-hmm. it seemed like – Every single play was some sort of stoppage. Like, mm-hmm. There's either a penalty, an injury, yeah. or something. How much does that throw off, like just the flow of the game when you have to stop after every down? Sure, it's it is tough, and, and we were kind of feeling it a little bit defensively. We were kind of we were rolling a little bit. Uh, guys were doing their jobs, playing with great effort. Uh, the one thing we always try to preach to our guys, and you know, you know, with limited fans in the stands, sometimes I get a little nervous because it gets quiet in there, so fans kind of hear everything. But but one of the messages we really preach is get 11 hats to the ball, and that's kind of that black swarm mentality. Um, and, and we kind of had that going a little bit on, on Friday. So the, the timeouts with the – the penalties is the frustrating part. You know, injuries is a part of football that 
it's never easy. You never want to see that. Um, but but the penalties were, were a little frustrating. Seems like every time you get into a groove, like you said, we were stopping and couldn't really get into the flow of the game a little bit. But that's a part of it, not having scrimmages, um, having a limited offseason, and, you know, everything that's kind of coming with this 2020 year. Yeah, I mean, you talked about, you know, kind of the rhythm of the game, you know, picking up from the fans. And, you know, obviously everything's different this yeah. year. Um, I was not at the first game, but I was at the last game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed it, it just obviously there's not as many people. You right. know, we all know that. Right. But it just it still kind of seemed a little bit more dull, a little bit more quiet. You know, I, I feel like I kind of had a hard time getting into the game. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the atmosphere in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, is that something that, like, at all – do you guys pick up on that? I mean, I know we everybody's going through the same thing, sure. but it just seemed like even with the fans we did have, it was harder to get into it than normal. Sure. It, it's definitely really different. Um, I think I noticed that a little bit more pregame. Um, once we get rolling, the coaches were all in headphones, so I don't really notice the crowd once we get rolling either. Um, but but definitely, I mean, coming out of the tunnel, it still it still feels like a mass on pregame. Like everybody's hyped up, ready to rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear that, you know, them drums hit, that smoke go, and everybody's at a ten. Um, but but yeah, there's a little bit different feel in the air without our packed stadium that we would have had versus St. Ed's or a, you know, a lot more there against Bishop. Uh, but yeah, it, it's an adjustment for everybody, fans included. I was at the game, and I was just like. Maybe it was the group that I was in. Yeah. But it was like, it's just dull. Well, you don't like, get... no you, chance. Like, big third down. Yeah. Not much going on. You don't on. get the TIG like, going. No. You don't get the shout going. Like, all the classic staples yeah. are used to it. Paul Brown. You it don't get a lot of that. It's almost like, I, I feel like if I get into it, like, that's like the odd man out. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. supposed... It, it almost feels like I'm not supposed to. It, it's really different this year. And I, and, I mean, I don't know how much you guys see it, but with... When when the ball is completed to a receiver, the receiver flips it to the referee. The referee spots it. Well, now the ball goes back yeah. to the center, yeah. and there, it, there's just so many different things going on that it really, as a coach, you don't notice so much of the fans just because you are trying to stay locked in. Make yeah. sure your mask is on. Make sure you're six feet away. Make sure guys on the sideline are practicing social distancing and all that good stuff. You know, it's there's a lot more to worry about this year than it's not just a matter mm-hmm. of when the offense is out there getting the crowd going, like we still have duties yeah. as coaches to keep everybody. Everybody wants to be up on the sideline, engaged in the game, and we still got to, you know, go stand on your dot, stay six feet away. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a different experience this year for sure. I noticed that a couple of times while watching it, like, you know, a guy get up, toss it to the ref, and usually, like, most seasons they're doing some kind of hand signal. Sure. It hits them in the chest, kind of they catch it late and mm-hmm. toss to a guy. And now it's like it hits them it's like, no, nah, son, I can't touch that shit. Mm-hmm. And then he'll run, go pick it up and toss it to the center. Um, just kind of – can you talk about like how weird it is like for from your perspective? I think we had Kale talk about it before, but like how weird it is just with all the COVID stuff now? It, it, it's it, it's really different, you know, and it's 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 a lot of the little stuff that you don't consider until you get into live action. It's it's Caden Wooler gets a sack, and I want to go out there and chest bump him and high five him, <laughs> and I catch myself in mid stride, like bro, you can't do that no more. Yeah. And 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 it's just really that interaction with the guys that you kind of that you kind of miss out on a little bit, you know. And 
it, it, it's still there. It's, it's still you feel all that, the bond and all that good stuff. But sometimes, you know, you got to reach out and, and chest bump somebody after they get a sack. Or, so there's a little bit of that going. Um, it, it's interesting to see some of the centers try to catch the rock when the receivers are throwing <laughs> it back to them. You get to see some of the trench yeah. life guys yeah. out there. Um, our guys are pretty good. Uh, Garrettson, before he dinged his hand up a little bit, he he could catch the rock. I think I saw him like making almost OBJ like just yeah. one hand and catch, snagging it out of the air. Like okay, yeah. let's go next play. And let let him tell you the story. He's a skilled guy. Now he wants to run a route and all that good stuff. We told him just snap the ball, brother. You know how that goes. But uh, it's different. And and our offense, we're really trying to push as a tempo this year. Um, not so much a no huddle, but just, you know, get to the line of scrimmage, snap the ball, get it kind of a tempo. And with, with the ball going back to the center right away, it's a really big advantage to the offense. They're not waiting on that referee to spot the ball, give the center the thumbs up. The center's able to get it from the receiver, the running back, put it down, roll right into the next play. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to touch on the tempo, but the one thing that I noticed when I was at the game last week – uh, you know, of course, we were sitting on the very front row, very first <laughs> right, right. row, yeah. which is just the worst for anybody that wants to watch the actual game. Right. But when I turned around, it almost had the perspective of, like, a pretty full stadium. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I imagine anywhere outside of Maslin, that was a full stadium. Absolutely. Like, it seems like a normal night for most people. For us, obviously, it's not. But, you know, it was still just kind of hard to get into it. But uh, the one thing that I noticed from the game is you're talking about how the ball always goes back mm-hmm. to the center. I feel like you can almost manipulate the game that sure, way. Sure, absolutely you can. Because I remember Nate Moore talked about before the season that, you know, you can go quick. If you mm-hmm. wanted to go quick, mm-hmm. you can go quick. But what I also noticed was there was a couple times last week where the ball got back to the center, and the center didn't spot it right away. He's just kind of holding on to it. Mm-hmm. And the ref kind of comes up, like, showing him where the beanbag right. is and, like, right. where you put it. And he's like taking his time not intentionally but mm-hmm. um then he finally puts the ball down and the ref says all right restart the play clock and he had to do that a couple of times keep restarting the play clock and mm-hmm. i was like we just did like two plays with the play clock right there like you could huh. slow the game down by just not spotting the ball and i'm i'm yeah. sure if you do that intentionally like the refs will pick up on it but there was a couple of times where it was like we slowed the game down by just not spotting the ball right away the center's mm-hmm. holding it looking in for the call yeah and the ref's like hey spot the, hey, spot the ball hey up here C- come up here spot the ball he's like hold on now. i'm trying to get the call and while he's doing all of that the clock isn't running right mm-hmm. so then he goes up spots the ball they reset it we get a new 40 seconds on the clock and like as much as you can speed the game up i mm-hmm. feel you can also slow the game down with this. it definitely gives you the ability to control tempo a little bit as an offensive team you know you're not counting on the ref to mm-hmm. set it roll the clock all that good stuff so there's definitely there's definitely a little gamesmanship in that with how you want to do it with tempo versus slowing it down and there's going to be a little gamesmanship. I I mean, we never run under center unless it's victory or right. maybe sneak. Right. But you'll see teams, you know, I think Hoban comes to mind is like mm-hmm. the big name that we always play that does run a little bit of under center. Mm-hmm. And if you're facing like, uh, you know, a down and short kind of distance, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what the plan is for the refs. If the center like, you know, takes the ball and just cheats up, you know, half a step, a couple mm-hmm. steps, mm-hmm. sets the ball down where it's, like, still kind of on the beanbag, mm-hmm. but it's, like, right there. And I think that's another thing that's added into it that they – I don't know if they thought about this year or not. You right, know? right. Yeah, I mean, how much do you have to cheat 
on the beanbag spot before the ref steps in. Well, the is bean- that has that been tested yet? Not that I'm aware of. You know, I I haven't seen it yet, but but you know, I could see how that could be in there. This is just a gentleman's rule. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, you know, the beanbags are funny because you think it's a fumble half the time when you see it laying <laughs> out there. I, yeah. it, it, you know, it's it's a lot of getting used to. Yeah, that's definitely something that it's like I don't think I picked up on that um, when like watching the game from the mm-hmm. broadcast. But that would be weird just on the sideline seeing like seeing a beanbag thrown into the plane. Right. Oh yeah. Fuck. Wait. Nope. That's he's just yeah. spotting. <laughs> yeah. And, and we got used to it. And we did a couple inner squad scrimmages where the beanbags came into mm-hmm. play a little bit. So it, it's been interesting though to see all the changes this year with COVID. So here's my question for you specifically. Yeah. Uh, when we. We were kind of hanging around for the one inner squad, inner squad scrimmage, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody, but we drove by a couple of times. Right, right. And uh, during the inner squad, I mean, we could hear you. Yeah. From the street. Right. Is there any adjustment to how loud you are? I mean, is there any issue with the other team hearing you? Are you saying anything that they can pick up on? I, I mean, and this kind of goes back into our last conversation. I don't care what they hear. Yeah. I don't care what they pick up Beat on. It, they right? still have to stop it. Yeah. That's yeah. how I look at it. Um, if they're at the point where they're trying to steal signals and they're trying to steal calls, then to me, you know, you're looking for a way out. Like, well, I'm not worried about what they call. You're already behind. You, yeah. you know what I mean? You're playing, you're playing catch up from the get. So if they're picking up on that, should I adjust volume with less stand with fans and stands? Probably, but it, it's not going to work out <laughs> like that. It, it kind of goes how it flows, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you thought about using any kind of gamesmanship? Like, you know, there was a scrimmage a few years back where was it Avon or Avon Lake or whatever, where Berea. we just Berea, Berea, where we just started screaming like power left, power right. Oh yeah, coming at you. Oh but yeah. You ever thought about like you know we're actually running four verts, but you're just shouting like. Power left, coming at you, 53. You know, I got a funny story about that. So, in practice, Jay Crable is our is our scout team guy all summer, and, and we would send the blitzes at him, and, and he would get upset. They'd, they'd run a screen, and I'm yelling, screen, screen, all the D-linemen's retracing. And, and kind of along that same path of, of the gamesmanship tells you how sharp Jay Crable is. We're at practice last week. And he looks at me pre-play and kind of winks. You know, I'm at practice signaling the defense, and and he kind of winks at me. And and I'm looking at the play card. I'm like, it's a deep pass. What's he winking about? He he snaps the ball, and at the top of his lungs, he yells, "Screen!" All four of my D linemen turn and retrace, <laughs> so he has no pass rush coming at him. So definitely, there's a little bit of gamesmanship involved in it. Um, I know Coach Jarvis likes to give some of those corners a hard time over there on the sideline. Coach Miller makes sure them corners are giving Jaden and, and Drew a little cushion. I don't know if you guys catch that. Corners stay about 15 yards off of it, too. <laughs> and we always kind of give them a little something on the sideline. Go ahead and press him. Press him up a little bit. But there's definitely a lot of gamesmanship going out there, going on out there. Yeah, I mean, as the uh, defensive line coach, um, something that I never had to experience in my life um, – without giving anything away about yeah. our, our personal way of attacking things. You know, how does a defense alignment, you know, adjust to a screen? Like, what is it that you – I mean, do you notice just not getting blocked? Well, I, I always use the key and the the line, I guess, that if they're not blocking you, you're not that good. Okay. You know what I mean? You didn't yeah. just put the greatest move on him where, where if nobody's blocking you, there's a reason mm-hmm. for that. Um, there's one of two things that can happen as a D line when you're not getting blocked, and, and it's there's two setups. 
they're either setting you up for a screen or they're setting you up for a trap. And and, and the trap setup might be worse because you got a three hundred pound <laughs> guard coming yeah. to surprise yeah. you at the end of it. Um, but I don't, you know, like that's something we work in practice every day. Um, as far as our D line goes, I expect them to come off the ball the same way. You know, no matter what the play is, no matter what the down is, read your keys. If you're guard, if if you're a tackle and you're lined up over a guard, what does he do? Does he pass at you? Does he try to reach you? Does he block down? There, there are specific techniques we do for each type of block that the offensive lineman can kind of can kind of throw at you. So on a screen, we really work retrace your steps and your lineman will take you to the ball don't stare at the quarterback because he'll just dump it over your head and make you look silly <laughs> um and it's something we work every day if you rewind back to last year against hoban in the second quarter it was actually the final points of the game we worked it all week in practice uh that hoban would run a middle screen and i think manny intercepted one or two of them in practice and kept joking about running them back to the end zone and <laughs> Hoban yeah. game comes, a big third down, hits him right in the hands. And of course, he doesn't catch it in the game. <laughs> but he tips it to our three-tech, our D-tackle, Corey Campbell. Uh, two plays later, we cu- we kicked the field goal to go ahead point to that. So you, you, it, was, it was D-line coach. I was over there with my chest puffed out looking. You know what I mean? We, we actually retraced it. We were supposed to do. So that is something we work with our guys every day. Nice. Um, so <laughs> this is going to be really off topic. But I just have to get it in because Jim, who is here tonight, he's not on a microphone, but he's here. Jim and I got into a little discussion over the weekend. Yeah. So I'm just going to present you a situation. Okay. And I'm not asking you to, you know, teach it to us as if this is a, you know, a coaching session. Right. You but can, you, though. Feel free to do yeah. I got you. All right. As a defensive end. Right. If a team is trying to run outside zone against you, yep. towards you, yep. what I mean, what are you kind of looking at? Like, what would uh, what would you tell in general? Just so, in general, so, what would you tell a defensive end to do when op- when outside zone is coming against you? Gotcha. So what we teach is you reach a reach, meaning if I'm the D end and the tackle reaches me, which is the technique of the block they would use on outside zone, he's trying to get that edge. You fight against that reach. You don't want to let anything outside of you. Which is to say, uh, as an offensive lineman, when you're trying to reach somebody, you're trying to get their shoulders turned and get your hips kind of get outside in of front them. of yeah. them. You're almost you boxing get them, them out from uh, the alley. Getting yeah, getting out, hooked. Sure. Getting yeah. outside of them. Yeah. So would, would you say that running the hoop would be a bad idea against outside zone? It's a difficult way to describe it because here's the deal. <laughs> the, the the first step of a zone, that tackle's really fighting hard to get outside and get you reached. If you're fighting the reach, eventually you guys are both going to run to the sideline. Now, me, I was a guy that played offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. If I had a speed guy, if I go to reach him and he wants to fly and run outside, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to make this easy and let him run outside and deliver him to his yeah. parents in the stands. Yeah. Um, so there is a point as a DN where you have to, if he's outside of you, you don't want to just keep running to the sideline. You want to put his body in the hole, kind of depress mm-hmm. your gap more yeah. so than just over-pursue it. It's a fine line. I mean, it is a – I get what you're saying. You want to beat him outside, and in a perfect world, yes, we beat him outside. Um, but, but this is what you got to understand. As an offensive tackle, I know when and where. 
And, and every DN coach is going to tell you you should never get reached by a tackle, and every tackles coach is going to tell you you should reach that five tech. You know, so we definitely teach reach a reach, but we don't teach to run to the sideline and high-five your parents technique, yeah. <laughs> which is what a lot of teams – or what, what, which is what a lot of – a lot of times outside zone starts outside, and that end gets so wide that he just cuts it in. He right cuts it right up yeah. underneath that end, and there's no – you're just making that gap bigger and bigger and bigger the further outside you go as a DN. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going to chalk that up as a win. Is that okay, Hank? Uh, yeah, because Did I beat Jim in that discussion. Okay. Well, because Jim was describing run the hoop as a pass rush move, and yeah, we do run the hoop in practice. We do work bending the bending the corner, you know, mm-hmm. and, and getting under the offensive tackles punch, and and we do work the hoop. So I, I give you both a dub on that. It sounds like everybody's contributing on that one. I don't know what you're drawing, Jim, but that got a little chalk talk going on now. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's chalk talk, but it's also he like drew the center pulling to the right, interesting. but a linebacker <laughs> shooting the gap. I don't. All right, Jim, I don't get it. Um, so back to moving back on, to Warren. <laughs> moving on. Um, I, I I guess kind of in general. Also, as a DN, generally when a team's running outside zone, you're not going to just face the tackle. Teams tend to not run want to run outside zone without a tight end or a fullback or mm-hmm. wing something right there to help with that reach on the end mm-hmm. I, I guess my whole point was that if you run the hoop yeah you're just making that gap humongous yes and you that's take- kind of what we talk about where they just get ran to the sideline and yeah. put up in the stands it, it does you no good as a dn to just run to the sideline because yes you stayed outside of the tackle but you're creating a huge seam and, yeah. and while you're you know yeah. maintaining that outside gap because gaps do move Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, your C gap might start on one hash, and then yeah. the, you know what I mean. The, the the gaps do move. I remember, um, so like, just kind of when I played, mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on around me. Mm-hmm. I knew my job. I knew what my responsibility was. Unfortunately, that's how they taught us. Yeah, everybody knew one specific job, and you had no idea what the guy next to you was doing. Gotcha. And then just kind of in the last, I would say, three four years, I'm like, oh, how does this work? Mm-hmm. And that was the. I think it was specifically how does cover four work, mm-hmm. and that was the rabbit hole that made me the giant football nerd that you you're looking at today. Sure. So, like going back to gaps moving that kind mm-hmm. of thing, it was like a mind blowing uh, experience learning about like oh backside guard pulls, mm-hmm. backside linebacker follows that pull, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So how everything is just fluid, and it's a lot more than, oh, I've got my gap. This is what I'm responsible right, for. Right, right. And uh, how much, I guess, what you guys are running today, I mean, it, it's it's like similar but different than what the system we ran. Mm-hmm. We were, I, I remember we were in a 4-3 mm-hmm. under front. Now, I guess, Functionally, it's like a quasi four two five. Mm-hmm. Um, I would describe what we're doing now as multiple, because we yeah. can be in a three down, we can be in a four down, we can go into some over. Mm-hmm. We really have the ability uh, to get into a couple different fronts based on what teams want to do. Yeah, um, we are very multiple. Mm-hmm. I know that helps out our defense a lot. Uh, but functionally speaking, mm-hmm. with your position group, the defensive line, how much is on them on a given play, like responsibility-wise? They're they're on they're expected to understand. Uh, you guys talked about knowing one position and not necessarily knowing what the other mm-hmm. guys. Our front seven specifically, um, we want to make everything bounce. So what, what we really try to make our guys understand is. 
you have B gap because this guy has A gap. You know what I mean? Not Mm -hmm. you have B gap just because I tell you you have B gap. But understand why you can't peek into A. Understand why you can't peek into C because there's guys there. And, and, you know, football one-on-one, two guys in one gaps is no bueno, right? I mean, yeah. so so there is some type of – you are expected to understand the concept of the defense as a whole with, 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 with our front seven. It's to build a wall, press everything to the sideline, um, prevent a cutback, and our safeties do a great job of filling alleys. Mm-hmm. Yep. So when it comes to um, – I mean, I know you coach defensive line. Right. But obviously the linebackers mm-hmm. are make a big part Absolutely. of the run fit with the defensive line. Mm-hmm. How hard is it – from a linebacker's perspective, to say they have to fill B gap, mm-hmm. but if they see running back going A gap, you know where is that line between? Hey, I think he's going A gap, but I trust that my guy has a gap already. Um, that's what makes that's the difference to me between a, a really average defense and a really good defense. If you have really good players that are kind of freelancing and, and just, you know, playing football, see ball, get ball, um, then then there's a lot of guys in two gaps. And, mm-hmm. and I think we really strive to be the polar opposite of what you described. Um, our linebackers are taught to read guards. Mm-hmm. So if a guard pulls, that's our key. We're not, we're not watching running backs. So we don't key running backs because then they, then they run what? They counter you. Um, and there's some ways you can false key with guards and all that good stuff. But in our defense, everything's based on building that wall. And it's really just built on, on trust. It's not a real complicated defense where gaps sound, do your job. If you're supposed to be in A gap, shut A gap down. If you're supposed to be in B gap, shut B gap down. And there's a lot of accountability on everybody in that front seven for their, for their specific gap. You kind of mentioned um... – about like oh this see ball get ball mm-hmm. but you always hear coaches preaching about like you know we just coach our guys up to play fast and you know they see ball that, that kind of thing right right how do you find that balance of like teaching the kid enough that they know what's going on around them and why they need to do this thing versus teaching them like not too much that they get information overload and they can still play fast it's the old, what's the old uh, saying? The the kiss, keep it simple, stupid, right? We keep it. Everything is is extremely simple, but it's it's built on discipline. Um, and I know I kind of keep saying the same thing in a few different ways, but it, it's really the answer. Um, yes, we coach effort. Yes, we coach toughness. Yes, we coach play to the whistle, swarm to the ball, but be in B gap until your until your guy declares. So, so if I'm a B-gap player and I'm front side and the ball declares C-gap, yeah, okay, well, now I know I can go pursue this. But understand, if that guy was to cut it all the way back, you're still responsible for your gap. So there, so there is a level of, of hustle and effort within the scheme of our system. And, that, and that's where the discipline comes in because everybody can play hard and be in the wrong gap. Playing hard and being gap sound is a whole other animal. Is there ever an issue, um, I mean, not issue, but playing different types of teams? Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a team that's not quite as good mm-hmm. as the team you play the next week. Should discipline just always be the answer if you're a B-gap player or a B-gap player versus one team versus the other? 
Or can you maybe cheat against one team or not cheat against the other? We'll game plan for a specific team. You know, if, if a team's going to run a lot of inside or outside zone, we may – our guys, our coordinators do a great job of, of getting the guys a scouting report and prepared on what our opponent's going to look like next week, especially now that we have some film on guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we got some good film on Warren, and we should have good film moving forward. Uh, we kind of try to put our guys in position to stop what they do best. So there is a little bit of that. One week we might make a tweak or an adjustment on how we run a stun or, or a different blitz to combat what they do well. But for the most part, we don't really worry about what other people do. And, and I know that's a simple answer and an easy answer, but it, it really it is what it is. I mean, we, we don't really budge based on what you do. We're going to build this wall and dare you to run through it. So you said we don't really worry about what other people do. And you're referring to what other offenses do. Right. Um, I've noticed in the last couple games, and I don't know if this is just me like learning more defense and being able to see it better, but we uh, – more than like a couple downs, so mm-hmm. it seems like a package in our system mm-hmm. where we run three down, mm-hmm. all four linebackers up, roll a safety down late mm-hmm. and kind of hide where that fourth guy is coming from. Right. And it seems like a very 3-3 three, three stack-esque play and where we're hiding where the fourth rusher is coming from. I, is that something that we picked up this year? Is that something that we've had? Or is that like that we just stole from the 3-3 three, three and like it's a good, like it's a good sound uh Scheme, I guess. I, I think more so than anything, what you're seeing is guys getting comfortable, um, knowing what they're and disguising some things. Mm-hmm. You know, making making it appear that we're doing something that we're not. Because in this year, in the first two games, we've blitzed a lot more probably than we have in in the last couple of years. To be honest with you, as far as a percentage of plays, we we were in a lot. We we ran a lot of blitzes the last two week two weeks. Um, and I think that has more to do with our personnel this year. Um, we got some guys that can really get after you on the edge. Uh, we got some some DBs that, you know, you saw St. Ed's when they tried to go over the top and Jaden kind of baited him into that. We got some guys that can play man is what I'm saying. Um, and and our, our skill guys can run with your skill guys. So, so you've seen a little bit more blitzing, which which there comes some disguise with those blitzing. You know, you want, you want your guys to creep into the blitz, not – be at the line of scrimmage, tapping their toes so everybody in the stadium knows they're coming and allows the O-line to kind of fan out to it or slide to it. or mm-hmm. So there, there is an element that we're trying to disguise when we, we do some different blitzing. It's probably what you're seeing with that. Okay. Uh, while we're talking about uh, personnel, right? I think one specific player that you know is, is pretty influential on our defense and specifically your group in general um, depending on what front we're going with, mm-hmm. you know, Caden Willard. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to see him, you know, more on the line, mm-hmm. more on the edge, and you know, sometimes you'll see him out in space. Mm-hmm. You know, what type of player does it take to do that? And then when it comes down to actually like practicing, mm-hmm. you know, who's coaching him to do one thing versus the other? Is is that a dedicated coach? Sure. It uh, to answer your first question, it takes a really good player to be able to do both of those. Um, Woolard's a guy that can play with his hand down on the line of scrimmage, and he can also stand up and play off the ball. And I mean, flip a coin on what he's better at because he's pretty good at both. Um, 
to be honest, the way our defense is run, Coach Weber and I both coach the D-line. Um, Caden kind of falls into that hybrid DN up linebacker position. Coach McConnell will work with him. Coach Weber's his predominantly who's working with him over there. But the way we work our defense, everybody's we're all on the same page and everybody's kind of coaching everybody up a little bit. But Co- I would say Webb is – Coach Weber's pretty much who's coaching Wooler for the most part. Um, structurally, right. I, I know you're the one signaling in the plays, not necessarily calling them in. Right. But you still know a lot about what's going on out there. All the plays that work are my calls. If it doesn't work, that's usually Craig or Lino. <laughs> up there yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Structurally, how much does that give you like to have a guy that can play down or up? I mean, it, it. what it does is it keeps the offense on their toes. They can't really – if they got something good that works against Wooler down, well, we just bump him up. It gives us a lot of options because um, he can still rush the passer out of that up position. And, and the double whammy with him is he's so, he's so good against the run. Um, you'll see him on the strong side, the weak side. He really has the ability to bounce around and play. He could probably play four or five different positions for us if we really needed him to. Um, but but he's just as good against the run as he is the pass, effectively. So, uh, blame me if I'm wrong. But when I played, I don't think we really changed back and forth quite as much as, mm-hmm. as what you do now. Um, with a player like Ward, is that something that allows you to bounce back and forth between the fronts that you do? Or is that something schematically that you'd probably do just based on whoever you have? Coach McConnell and Lino do a great job at adjusting to our personnel. Um, in my opinion, you're banging your head against the wall a little bit if you try to make players fit your system. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to, and this is kind of my personal opinion, this isn't necessarily set in stone, but I think you adjust your system based on the players that you have. Um, if we had a, a guy like Woolard who's a big guy who, who's not real good in space, we would probably keep him down on the line a little bit and just bring him off the edge. So Woolard does give us the ability to do a lot more with that with that position than what we've done in the past for sure. I think that's a big thing you kind of brought up of like scheme versus players, you know, Jimmy's mm-hmm. and Joe's versus X's and O's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find that balance <laughs> – Again, you're not the one calling the plays, but right. still, like right. in general, how do you find that balance of like this is this this is the scheme I know, this mm-hmm. is what I can run, this is what I can teach well, mm-hmm. versus this is what my guys can do. I, I think you have to as a as a coach at Maslin, the expectation is you have to be able to to adapt to who you have. Um, if you're a guy that can only coach one style or one way, then you're you're honestly probably in the wrong program. Our guys are. You know, they're, they're we're, the coaches. We really put a lot of emphasis on putting our guys in the right place or in a position to make plays, putting them in the best position possible. Um, there's no egos in the room, and I, I know we've talked about that before, but but it's never like this is what I've done in the past, so this is what we have to do. You know, every year is different. Last year is different. Caden Woolard's different 2020 than he was 2019. This year, he's able to do a lot more stuff than we could do with him last year. So we really do tailor our defense based on our personnel. It's not a cookie-cutter defense where we say you have to fit this mold. It really does get adjusted for the personnel that year. 
So when it when it comes to our defense and defensive staff, I know it's you know almost all Maslin guys mm-hmm. coaching on our defense. Um, and you know they come from different eras. Sure. You know you got Coach Weber who was in the eighties, mm-hmm. Coach Hack early nineties. You know a lot of you guys were late nineties, early two thousands. Um, the things that you guys have carried with you is that something schematically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you know being Maslin is from Maslin, but schematically is that something that. You know, all of you guys may have had when you were here, or you picked up when you went on to other places. You learned along the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I know things have changed along the lines, but are you guys, you know, kind of carrying with you what you might have had when you were here, or uh, is it a new era defense? It, it's really, I think, it's a combination of, of you know, you take the good from what you've been a part of that's worked. Um, Coach Hackenbrack is really, you know, he's done. He does a great job with those DBs, along with Coach Jar, um, and, and, and that kind of. They know what works, what doesn't work. They're both really experienced coaches. But I think what you see right now is really a product of more McConnell and Jarvis of, of what worked over the years, what hasn't worked over the years, and really fine tuning it. Um, they give us the game plan, and we go out and and, and execute what they want done. I think that's something you actually interesting you bring up, Rob, about like defense changing over the years. Mm-hmm. Like we were having the discussion oh, yeah. like not I, I two weeks know, ago. I already know where you're going. About yeah. like how you call the strength of your defense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a team lines up with a tight end and a receiver one side mm-hmm. and uh twins the other side, you mm-hmm. know, two split out receivers. Mm-hmm. And ten years ago we'd call the strength to the tight end. Sure. Because yep. that's what you do. That's what you I mean, mm-hmm. that's the run strength. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. And nowadays it seems more like we're calling the strength to the pass side the two the two split out receivers that that really goes back to what we do on saturday mornings um we get film exchange from the team we're playing the following week and we'll break it down and, and break it down to the to the what's their top play and how what's the percentage that they call that play do they typically what are the odds do they run it you know to this formation away from this formation we chart on we chart all that information and we try to you know, if, if would they come out on Friday night in a, in a specific formation, well, we know based on film study, 80% of the time they're in this mm-hmm. formation, they run X, Y, or Z. So that's kind of – it has a lot to do with game planning, how we're going to call our strength or what the guys up top are seeing in the box. So on the game planning film study stand, uh, yep. standpoint, I was reading a very interesting thread on Twitter today about, like, going beyond the – hash mark down a distance kind of your basic film study stuff Mm -hmm. to where like you're looking for specific cues in the offense like i remember east st louis their right tackle i think Mm -hmm. Uh, almost every pass play he was in a two-point stance every run play he was in three point is there stuff you're looking at like kind of that it to the minutiae of it absolutely where you're looking for tells um for me specifically and with the d line is is what you just said is is the guy in the two-point versus three-point, um, a lot of linemen at the high school level, you can tell in their stance what they're going to do. Are they pulling? Are they blocking down? Are they stepping? They'll, they'll kind of give it away. Um, if he has all of his hand, all of his weight on his front hand, he's probably not pulling. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if his knuckles are bright white, and you know, he's probably not <laughs> pulling. If he doesn't have a whole lot of weight on his hand, he's, he, there's a good chance he's pulling or pass setting. Um, and that's kind of what we watch for with our group when we do watch opponent film is is little tales like that. Is this split tighter on when they run zone? 
is a split wider when they do five-step pass. You try to pick up anything to put you in the best position to just play the odds. Yeah, so a two-part question before Hank tries to jump in and steal it from me. Um, I feel like that was fairly like relative to No, it, it was, but I'm just telling you now I have a two-part question. Go um, for so it. Like the first part, you talk about like the, the knuckles thing. I remember seeing that on Rudy. Yeah, the movie. yeah, yeah. <laughs> They like taped their knuckles up so you yeah, couldn't yeah. you couldn't see the pressure on right. it. Right. Um, is is that something that you can like almost teach your defense alignment to like notice little stuff like Absolutely, that? Absolutely, we talk about the that. The knuckles. Absolutely, we talk about that. Uh, a lot of teams, you know, as a again, I played offensive line here and in college, and if I'm if we're running a, a inside zone play my split's going to probably be a little bit wider cuz that's naturally mm-hmm. the defense lines up off of us yeah mm-hmm. as a, as an alignment so if I'm a little bit wider what's that do to that the end he's a little bit wider now B gaps a little bit bigger mm-hmm. um so that's definitely things that we take notice of and, and 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 that goes across the board at every position group i know we watch saturday morning as a staff together defensively and you'll hear Hack and Jar talking about their split off the hash. Look how wide it is when they run this play. Look how tight it is when they run that play. And, and again, it's just our job as coaches is to put our guys in the best possible situations to be successful. So we look at all that stuff. Is is he in a two point, three point? His splits, his stance might even change pass versus run, and and all that good stuff. There, there's always something to learn if you watch enough film. So the second part of my question is uh, another thing that Hank and I have kind of talked about off air before. Um, as a defensive coach, as a defensive signal caller, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if this is something we even run into very often, mm-hmm. but the whole concept of a check with me. Right. When an offense does a check with me sure. and the defense kind of combats that, mm-hmm. you know, what's the thought process that goes through your head seeing an offense trying to adjust to you so then you can then also adjust to them? So, so it's funny. There's, there's an old cliche. It goes, whoever gets the marker last wins. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning if you're up on a whiteboard and the offensive coach says, I'm going to do this, and the defensive coach can counter with, I'll do that. Well, then I'll do this. And that kind of goes back. And that's kind of the, the process with, with the check with me. Um, how we approach that is if the offense checks, the defense checks. So, obviously, I got the headphones on. Coach McConnell, Coach Lino up top. If they're checking, looking at their sideline, our guys got their eyes over on me. And, and if, if we're going to roll it, I'll signal just stay in the play. We might make an adjustment if they make an adjustment based on their check. Um, the trump card is when you have a quarterback. Like a, like last year we had Aiden Longwell. And, and I remember like the coach is always laughing. It's That puts the marker in your hand last when you got a guy like Longwell. Be, you know, because he's the type of guy that could make that last adjustment Mm-hmm. And you kind of got to live with what you got, but but when the offense is checked, typically the defense is checking as well to see how we're going to counter that. I mean, the counters in general, like you know, back in the mid to late two thousands, when he saw the super wide offensive line splits in college, mm-hmm. eventually the defensive lineman, like that, you would just game plan to line up in the gap rather yep. than off your guy. Um, nowadays, when you see the check with me stuff, you'll see these offenses that are running check with me so much that they'll like fake a check with me and then just run a play. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything like that in the in anywhere high school football? The only thing I could really say that teams get into is uh, they'll use the check with me as kind of a way to try to draw you off sides. So they'll really hard count that check. 
And as a defensive line coach, nothing makes me more mad than when a defensive lineman jumps off sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you talk to any of the guys that I coach in practice, we have something special when that happens. <laughs> um, we start out every day with stance and start, and I'm yelling at Cadence trying to get them to jump. We go on movement. Um, if they jump off side in practice, like I said, we got a little something special for them. So, so that's something that you know we really take a lot of pride in. When the ball moves, we move. But 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 along those lines with the checks, there, there is a lot of that. They'll they'll use it as a hard count, especially if it's third and four. Let's go out there hard count them, check, just see if we can get a free one. You know, and and that that's just part of a disciplined football team. Understand it's third and four, and if they can get a free five, they're going to. You know, that's just being a situationally aware football player. And that was something I remember, just especially East St. Louis. It was like it's it's one of my favorite football games to like, right? Not just as a fan. But like as a film study, just watch and see what we did, they did, all this. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we would do a lot. Actually, was yep. we'd come up to the line, run the like the check with me, and then motion, but still be in a check with me, mm-hmm. kind of hard count. Mm-hmm. And I think we got at least three first downs that game Absolutely. off of that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. go with the hide formation, put two fullbacks on one side, hard count, first down. It's definitely a weapon that. If if you can get a, if you can get five yards on third and four by a hard count, by all means get it. You know there's no style points in football. You either did mm-hmm. or you didn't. Um, you know I've heard oh you guys outplayed St. Ed's in this aspect and that aspect. In five years from now, when they look back at the records, it was a L or a W. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing if if you can use the check to get a first down, use the check. You know it's definitely a weapon for the offense to use though. Yeah, so the one conversation Hank and I had off air like last week um, regarding the check with me, right. the whole concept, mm-hmm. when Ohio State played Clemson right. in the playoffs last year, um, something that came up, and it's not the first time that it came up, Ohio State faked a check with me and ran a quick little run play mm-hmm. while the defense was looking on the side. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's an answer to the defensive check with me, is it underutilized? Is it going to get caught up to? Is there an answer to it? Sure, I'd use it. I mean, if I'm an OC and I see, mm-hmm. you know, if that's something that I notice that every time we check, they're checking, yeah, tell the QB, wait till their head's turned and run and call HUD. Um, I, I teach my guys because we're at the point of attack. With the safeties, guys that are off the ball, there's mm-hmm. a little bit more wiggle room. If they react a half second late, they can still get in position. My guys, if they re- react to half second late, they're out of their gap. Yeah. Um, so I teach them even with the checks. Like, be in your stance. If they're ready, you be ready. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Don't get caught off by surprise. Don't jump off sides. Those aren't acceptable outcomes to me. And I think that's something you see a lot is, like, I'll notice that the defensive lineman, they'll do the check with me, and the defensive line, like, gets up in a mm-hmm. kind of a kneeling position, looks at the sideline, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the offensive line, that is usually in a two-point stance, is kind of getting up, looking at the sideline, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I think the one team that maybe, I don't know, I, that Barberton last year. Right. So we would go up as an offense, run up to the line, do check with me, and I. They their main game plan was run their three three stack, bring pressure. We would do the check with me stuff, and they'd like drop back into a cover four. Mm-hmm. Um, as a defense, is that something that you could like? We're gonna show this, but actually run this. And how much would that? 
how difficult is that to actually execute of showing something versus a team that runs check with me a lot versus being able to execute it? I, I think it's really easy to show something and jump into something else. You know, if, if they know they're in – say our safeties were in cover four and our safeties are kind of creeping a little bit like they're going to roll – as long as they know what their responsibility mm-hmm. is, if that makes that quarterback or that lineman or that – if that makes anybody on that offense think even for half a second, we win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that goes back to who's got the marker last. You know, because now the quarterback looks at, oh, here comes a blitz, here comes a blitz, ball's snapped, and then them guys are dropping. If you saw St. Ed's, they did a little bit of that second half <laughs> against us week one in that <laughs> show package. They ran um... – that, that was actually something I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Is they ran some wild shit yeah. against us. How difficult is that to pull off in so much as in your system getting guys like to show one thing and dropping to another? It definitely takes discipline. And, and say what you want about St. Ed's. They've always been and always will be. A, they're a very well-coached team. Um, very disciplined team. Like we keep saying that word. I feel like I'm, I'm using it too much, but it, it, it's the core of what we do. It, it, any defense, if there's no discipline, you're probably going to struggle. Um, they, they switched to its second half a little bit, you know, really, I, I think, because you can't really go man against the Tigers for four quarters at this point. There's just too much skill out there. So I, I think – Teams are really going to be forced to do a little bit of that stuff because if we can get a bead on it and really understand what's going on, you got to try to cause some confusion out there, and that's what St. Ed's was trying to do. Um, that, that's what that show package stuff does because it, it, it gives the quarterback the impression of, okay, here comes a blitz. Let me get rid of it hot. Well, if you get rid of it hot, assuming there's a blitz and that guy dropped, you can see where their problems mm-hmm. come up. And you were an offensive lineman too. Sure. Not just as a quarterback, from a lineman perspective, how much does that show package mess with you? Um, I, I think, and we talked a little bit about our defense disguising blitzes. As a tackle, if, say, you know, I got my end that's across from me, if I see that linebacker walking up to the line of scrimmage, you know, depending on what the protection is, but if we're in a slide protection and I see him walk up, I'm echoing that down across the line that I got to jump out here on this wide guy and help out. And, and, and you can run some games off that. You know, the tackle runs everything down the line that we're fanning out, and then that guy drops. It's just another element of can you adjust in the fire, making them think under under live bullets, you know what I mean, type stuff. Mm-hmm. So so uh, is an inexperienced lineman or a, a guy that's really unsure what he's doing, that is going to mess with him a little bit because now he's not sure, do I jump out wide and take – you know what I mean? So there is a little bit of that to it. Um Anytime you can make another guy think, they, they it slows them down just that half step. Yeah, so going back to, you know, kind of what you guys are talking about, St. Ed's, and, you know, some of the, you know, elaborate things they were doing, some of the different mm-hmm. droppages and coverages and blitzes that they brought. The one thing we talked about was how, you know, it was week one. Right. And you don't have a lot of practice going into that. You don't have any live fire going into that. You know, it's obviously tough on the offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be tough on the defense to make sure that they're all hitting. You know, I know if you're blitzing, you're trying to make sure everybody hits the right gaps right. and everything. The timing's correct. Um, and the one thing that I mentioned was that, you know, maybe on an obvious passing down, you can mess up as a defense mm-hmm. blitzing the wrong gaps. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But that still makes the lineman think. It still right. makes the quarterback think. But how hurtful that could that be against a run play? 
if, if people if kind blitz, of hit the wrong gaps. That that's the theory, or you know, that's the other end of the coin of blitzing is you you do leave yourself if the, if it doesn't get home, um, or if guys get too far upfield, you know, you can leave some gaps in a blitz, uh, and that goes back to personnel. We have the guys right now that we can send at you and to do a pretty good job. On, on the blitz um, years past we haven't had that so we had to sit back a little bit and just you know play your gap a little bit more and I think that's kind of the theory of um, to be on top of a football nerd I'm also like a war history nerd yeah and uh, like you have this theory of defense in depth mm-hmm. to where you don't just put your all of your guys all up on the line you have like you have your line of defense initially which is your lineman, Mm -hmm. and then you have, like, your secondary guys, Mm -hmm. your linebackers, and then your tertiary guys, your safeties, Mm -hmm. you know, that can, if one area gets attacked, you know, like Mm -hmm. say just on power. Right. You're sending, you're pulling a backside lineman, you're you're focusing more guys at the point of attack Mm -hmm. than what you think the defense has. Mm -hmm. And... When you do that, as a defense, you need to have guys that can come from, you know, depth, secondary, mm-hmm. whatever you whatever you want to call it, to be able to make up to account for that. Um, and that's one thing when you blitz, Rob, that you're putting guys all up on the line. You're just attacking, you're being aggressive, and that can come back and bite you in the ass. Right. And that was something that Coach Moore talked about actually at the Booster Club, uh from St. Ed's going into Bishop Sycamore that we'd actually rather run into the teeth of a blitz mm-hmm. because if, you know... You're it creates line, seams. Yeah. yeah, and your lineman rule, like your blocking rules as a lineman, it's not, I'm seeing this front, I do this. I'm seeing this, I do this. I'm like, oh, I have a guy in my gap, I do this. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, it's very, like he said... It's hit or miss. You either have an extra guy there or you just let off a 50-yard run. Mm-hmm. And, and you do have to be disciplined in your blitz. I mean, even though we're blitzing, there's still an element of discipline involved in that blitz. You know, you're blitzing B-gap. That doesn't mean run like a madman upfield and just go crazy. You know what I mean? You have to mm-hmm. blitz with the thought of, I'm still responsible if the ball is running this gap to make the play on run. And you know what I mean? And we like that's a skill set that's that's based on personnel, and I think we have guys that do a pretty good job at that. So on that note, this just popped in my head. Um, you have on any given defensive play, you have a run fit, mm-hmm. and you have a pass responsibility. Mm-hmm. D- do you have any sort of like? we're only going to call this on a obvious passing down versus like, we're only going to have stuff that works against one and the other. Well, you got to be able to do both out of everything, you know, because we, even mm-hmm. though it's a, there's certain, certain formations we want to be in, in third and two versus third and 22. Um, but, but even if it's third and two, you have to be able to, if they come out there and throw the ball deep, we got to be able to defend that. Um, so all you know, we do have packages that we, that we roll in based on formations and, and and situation in the game that we roll in. It's it's third and long. We might roll a speed package in, but that speed package still has to be able to defend the run. Um, Rob's looking at me like I got a question, and I absolutely do not. <laughs> but just kind of, um, I, I don't know, I guess just in more general defensive theory, 
we've been a cover four team a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've also run a lot of cover three, either weak roll or strong roll, whatever. What is your... Do you have a preference one way or the other? Or are you just kind of happy coaching whatever you're in? I mean, I love my job. You know what I mean? I always tell that. I don't go to work. <laughs> I go have fun every day. Um, me, personally, I'm a little, probably a little bit more aggressive than what... I, I like being in white cover. With, with, with this current team, I love mm-hmm. blitzing. Um, I think our, our back four are really talented and, and can run with anybody one-on-one. And like I keep saying, guys like Woolard and C.J. Harris and and Mike Miller, those guys can really get after you at the point of attack. And, and X and Portis and them guys, we got some really good athletes out there that I think it makes sense to blitz a little bit more with this team. And, and you're seeing Coach McConnell do that, you know. And, and, and in the past, like I said, we haven't blitzed a lot. So now teams, they got to be ready for it. These guys might send it, or they might just sit there and do their job and let you make a mistake. You know, and, and a good defense can do both, and, and we will do both. Hmm. Uh, my last question, because Rob has looks like absolutely nothing. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's been my kind of theory, and I want to get yours. I've never really put this out on air before, but it's been my kind of theory that you could teach a team to base out of cover zero mm-hmm. and be relatively successful as a high school because that's not something you you see a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a high school team, as like you know, you get the press man. Yeah. Uh, as a receiver, that's not something you're really gonna face much. You get all these guys coming at once. That's mm-hmm. not something you're gonna see much as a as an offensive line as a quarterback. Um, it's been my theory that you can base. You can teach a team press zero and base out of that a lot easier than any given high school offense can adjust to it. So I just want to get your opinion on that theory. You know, in theory, when you run, and you're talking about man coverage when you say press zero. Yes. um, It's... It's it's what we do in in the JV games a lot. You come to a JV game, we're in a lot of man because, you know, we talked about when you when you disguise those defenses and you creep guys. What we talk about making that guy think. Mm-hmm. When you're in man coverage, for those four DBs, it's really like I, I got this guy man up. I'm gonna work my technique. I don't if they switch, if they exchange, if they. You, you, there's not a lot of thought process in it. You can really, you know, just play football out of it. It's a, it's a really simple way of doing stuff. Now the problem in that comes when you get receivers like Jaden Ballard or, or or Wilson Lamp or Brawley or, or Eleven out there for us. Martavian he does his thing too. Like you're gonna see more of him as we roll too. But guys like that, like we wish people would come out and play us, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Personnel wise, that's probably not a good idea to do against the 2020 Tigers. But we got those same guys on defense for us. Thank God we're not lining up against us. We have <laughs> yeah. them on our team. So, man, we're I, I, in my opinion, going back to it, if you have the personnel, I love man. You know, press zero because it gives you the ability mm-hmm. to send some heat. And, uh, again, just making linemen think. And, and trust me, even if a quarterback, if he's getting a lot of pressure, you don't have to sack him to make him think about mm-hmm. you twice. You know, now that now next time he might get, that, get rid of that ball a tick quicker. You know, so just affecting quarterbacks. Even if you're not hitting them, you can affect them with that blitz and just being pesky around them. And, you know, I always tell my guy, if you're close and he gets rid of it, don't hit him, but tap him on the hip. Let him know you're thinking about him. Let him know that you was yeah. a, a tick. <laughs> if he holds it one more second, you're going to be there to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we've talked about for years, Hank, where, uh, you know, there's the concept of just basing out of cover zero. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it is really tough as an offense yeah. to go against that. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. not very many teams do it. Well, and there's the likelihood of a, a completely busted coverage. Mm-hmm. You really take a lot of that. You might beat your guy, mm-hmm. but if he can still get back in the picture and make yeah. it a, a difficult – because you, you still got to have the quarterback that can make the throw, mm-hmm. Absolutely. the receiver that can make the catch. There's a lot of variables that go into that. When the ball's in the air, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, like on paper, you know, the idea of it's great because at the high school level, it's really hard to complete, yeah. you know, a tough pass. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks aren't used to it, and receivers aren't used to it, and, you know, it's tough. But on the opposite end is all you have to do is beat one guy yeah. and it's a touchdown. Now, um, real quick. doesn't make it easy. No. My my theory behind that whole thing is it's a lot easier to teach a corner Absolutely. press coverage for the whole year that's his base thing um, versus a, a receiver that might see that one or two times mm-hmm. a year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, – it's All, definitely a simpler way to teach it in a way to yeah. get everybody on the same page and eliminate some of that mm-hmm. busted coverage that you can see. Now, all that being said, I would absolutely scrap cover zero entirely if I was facing the 2020 Madison Tigers. Can't do it. No. Not for four quarters. No. I mean, There's no not one you bit. can't do it. Not unless I'm trying to watch us get 102 points on the scoreboard. Yeah. So I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> No, and, and I mean, and, and some of those guys, you know, and we'll we'll play teams that are loaded up out there on their perimeter, but you know, like we just said, we we can kind of match up with them a little bit this year with athletically with them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, kind of, I guess moving forward, I got a little bit of my talk in Warren. Right. Uh, it's a team. You know, we faced twice last year. Mm-hmm. They got. Last I counted, 21 guys coming back mm-hmm. on either side of the ball. Uh, coach has been there for a while. Yep. Coaching staff, I assume, has been there for a while. Mm-hmm. I'd be lying if I said I looked into the coaching staff at all. But anyway, it's a team with a lot of experience, especially a lot of experience against Maslin. And I think we covered earlier in the show that neither of us went to the Booster Club meeting. Mm-hmm. So, JP, if you could tell us a little bit about Warren, what we'll see on either side of the ball. Sure. Uh, defensively, I'm going to let one of them guys on the offense have a little bit more insight. I got my own problems on my side of the ball. <laughs> I don't want to uh, get into offense too much, but what, what we do on offense. But uh, like we talked about, they got a three-year returner quarterback coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to throw the ball. Uh, he's an athletic kid. He can run, but he's not looking to take off and run on you. He's looking to throw that ball. Uh, you know, Warren holds a special place in my heart. It always will. That's who I lost to my senior year. So there's no love lost with Warren. Anytime we got a chance to go up there and put our hands on them, I'm all in. Um, I don't care what the score was in that game last year. Like, we're, we're going into this game – um, with a chip on our shoulder and ready to get after this quarterback. I, I think the big thing is to just get him uncomfortable. And that's something we've been talking about a little bit with the blitzing and, and making guys think if, if, we can, if we can get hits on him, I, I think that'll help us out and we'll be successful. If we let him sit back and stand in that pocket pretty, he can do some damage. Um, but I, I don't foresee that being the case. We're coming out ready to hit this kid. Uh, I know from last year, it seemed like they like to run a lot of four wide, mm-hmm. kind of inside zone, zone read type stuff with a little bit of RPO thrown in. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that as a as a defense, um, both schematically and like with your dudes you have the zone read 
and the RPO stuff. Fortunately, with the zone read stuff, we saw a lot of that against St. Ed's. Um, that That's really a bread and butter thing of what they do. Um, our offense does a little bit of that too, so we've seen a lot of that. Um, anytime you're dealing with zone read, w- what makes that go or not go, I guess, defensively is, is how we play it. Our DN just has to sit home on that QB and force to give. Um, and if we, if we force to give, we feel comfortable with what our guys do inside that you're not just going to run the ball down the field on us in between the tackles. Um, that's, that's just not an option for you. And we're going to make you give that. You know, our, our DN is going to sit on that cue and force that give. Um, the RPO stuff to me is the hardest thing in football to defend. Uh, it, it, it's tough, you know, and, and with a lot of you see now, and they're, and they're finally starting to call it. Thank you, referees. <laughs> But, I, but I'd see linemen 15 yards downfield and they're throwing a slant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what makes it really mm-hmm. tough is as a D lineman, you're getting a run read and then they're throwing the ball. So, mm-hmm. so you know, it's, again, making guys think. And with that RPO and the zone read, too, it's we go back to that discipline word. Be where you're supposed to be. Don't see read option. If you're the end that's supposed to sit on the queue, don't dive down at the running back because there's nobody else out there. Um Discipline and defense go—they're really, you know—they go—they go hand in hand. Uh, They—they are going to do a little bit. I don't foresee him coming out trying to run with this quarterback. They're going to use—they got athletes. Warren always has athletes. They got speed. They have skill. Um, They got some experience in those positions, and they're going to come out and try to throw the ball. I mean, it's no secret what these guys are going to do. Yeah, I mean, we know that uh, you know, year in year out, Warren's always got a lot of kids on their team. Um, really athletic. Uh, you know, we played him two two times last year. Right. And if you read uh, David Morgan's book, 15 for 15, mm-hmm. you, you, we know that Warren's coach is, like, personally asking, you know, about why masculine is different. What are we doing different? How can they be like us? You know, they lost to us twice. Um, it just seems different. You, you know it's going to be a little bit more motivation for them going into the game. Sure. Is that anything that you guys, like, relay to the team about, you know, you got to get hyped up for this game? Like, they really want to come in and beat us? You know, is there, or is it just another game, be disciplined, do your job? I think there's there's some of both of those in there. Um, one thing I try to make sure our guys understand, and all the coaches do, I'm just talking to me sp- personally specifically, is understand that we're most teams Super Bowl Mm -hmm. most teams are coming in here and and they see the lights and they see the fans you know normally in the hoopla that goes on and 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 they want to step up to that challenge and you're going to get most teams best shot Um, one thing is is a Maslin coach or even as a player teams aren't you're not going to surprise anybody you're not going to sneak up on anybody they know you're good they know they got to come in here with their a game so I think you're always going to get the most prepared version of whatever team you're playing um and that's every week not specifically warren you know but i'm definitely them guys they remember how that game felt last year i'm talking about the warren guys they they don't want to come in here and feel that again uh they're they're going to come in here cranked up ready to roll so there is an element to our guys don't come out flat that's been my message all off season is we can't start slow um come out the gate firing and, and then there is also a lot of when bullets start flying is what are your fundamentals like where what are your core that you really what do you rest your principles on if that stuff's solid they can come out in any kind of trick plays or 
something they didn't show on film. And as long as we're in our gaps doing what we're supposed to do, everything will be good. So when uh, it comes to teams like this, you know, right. like you said, every team wants to come out. And this is their Super Bowl. This yep. is the biggest game of the year for them. That's something we've referenced, you know. Mm-hmm. Seems like every single episode we've ever had this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, as as a coach, as a defensive coach, knowing that, let, let's be completely honest here, we're better than most teams, mm-hmm. right? Do you just want to go out there and let the team, you know, give you your, their best punch and eat it? Or do you want to go out there and set the tone and say, we know you're coming out here with your best hit. We're going to overdo it. Or do you Floyd, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather it, take a couple of hits, the first drive, the first two drives, and yeah. then just take over afterwards? We absolutely do no feeling out. There's no type of Floyd Mayweather. We're more Mike Tyson than Floyd out here. We're coming out to dominate. Like, we don't we don't practice to be good. We don't practice to be average. We don't practice to let you hang around. We practice to come out there and deliver a knockout blow. And if you get back up, we're swinging again. There's no feeling out process defensively. Mm-hmm. Defensively, we're coming out there for a knockout, not a, not a jab. <sighs> um, I guess my question is, so you have that when you go for the knockout, you leave yourself open. Is that just something that you're a little more comfortable with, like you said, just this year? Or is that just kind of a philosophical thing in general? It more philosophical. When I say for the knockout, I don't mean come out there and fly around and be a wild animal. Yeah. I, I, I mean, when it's time to deliver a blow, let them feel you. You know what I mean? It is when it's time to be patient, be in your gap, be patient, be in your gap. But when it's time to go, don't hold back. Um, I always tell my guys, if you make a mistake, make it make it a hundred percent mistake, so I can coach it, notice it, fix it. If you make a half step, I don't know if you halfway did it right or halfway did it wrong. You know, go out there, go full go, let us fix the tape. Um, it is definitely not an element of, of a wild haymaker type knockout punch. I mean, you know, once they open up, drive that overhand right at them and let them feel you every play. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. In general, I'm going to tie this into Rob. You're wanting this team in history segment. Okay. We've played Warren 84 times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a historic opponent, second most games in Masson history, straight out of the old All American Conference. Yep. Uh, is that something you bring up at all with these kids? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, Coach Weber, who you guys had on a couple times, Dave Weber, um, he does a really good job at. You know, making sure the kids understand, A, what it means to be a Tiger. That, that's a big topic with him. He writes letters to the team every week, which are referenced in that 15 for 15 book. Um, but that's something we always preach is there, there's a traditional element to this game that Warren's not scared of Maslin. You know, they respect us as a program and, and they know what we're all about, but they, there's no fear there. Um, they come in here with the mindset that they want to win this football game. They're, they're not scared. They've seen the crowds. They've seen the the band. They've heard the chants. You know, so so we make sure our guys are aware of that that they're not going to be in here and be awestruck by anything going on. Uh, I I really don't have anything else, Warren, Warren wise. Um, I I guess. If nothing else, I mean, 
we came out and we dominated this team the last two seasons. Right. Or last two games. Right. In the past season. You know, we sucked the life out of them the second half. Mm-hmm. I, we, you know, Rob, you and I, yeah. we sat in the away section. We were right there mm-hmm. about halfway up, but we could hear the sideline. Mm-hmm. And we just absolutely sucked the life out of them yep. in that second half of the playoff game. I get last question regarding Warren. Um, is it hard to get your team up to play these cats when we've dominated them last year and just absolutely took their will to fight away? It really isn't, man. I, I, I understand the question, and I understand how that could be a thing, but the the, the whole attitude with, with everything that's going on in, in 2020, like – these guys understand it's a privilege to even have a game right now. You know, six weeks ago, it was a coin flip whether we were going to be able to suit up in 2020 or not. Um, and, I, and I think some guys have really taken that personally, and they understand that, you know, it's already a shortened season. It's six weeks. There's not a whole lot of opportunities. So the, so there, if there's any type of, um, you know, there's there should be no type of uh, – feeling of of pulling off it should be all gas you know what i mean it's and and that goes back to the goal is is bigger than beating warren harding you know and we've talked about that the past the goal here is to go out there and find fine tune us and to be the best defense and the offense we can be because the the goal ultimately is the state championship um all these other games are, are just bumps in the road you know to get to that state championship and and that kind of goes along with i know we had a setback week one and it's funny to kind of sit back from the inside and watch everybody kind of lose their mind and panic and go crazy. And and, and what people got to understand is it's a different year. Our goal hasn't changed. Our mindset hasn't changed. Um, you know, and, and I think that, that that loss really sat in a certain way with our guys, our players. And uh, there's not going to be any letdowns or any need for, for guys to get hyped up or anything like that the rest of the way. They should have all the motivation they need after week one. Kind of rolling on that, you've been around football for a long time. Right. How much does that punch in the mouth? Not necessarily week one, but really any point in the season. Mm-hmm. How much does that help you Like when it comes crunch time, playoffs, or that kind of thing? Um, it was, I, I, In my personal opinion, I think it was a much-needed punch in the mouth. I think sometimes, you know, our last home game or our last regular season that we lost to football, it was 2017. Yep. October 20th, 2017. Um, so so I think just naturally an element of if we just kind of show up, starts to creep in just out of human nature. Um, I, I, do I root for – did I want to lose that game? Absolutely not. Do I think that we needed to lose that game to learn that lesson? No. Um, but you want to talk about the ultimate wake-up call, you know what I mean? And and we've had the last two, three years end on everybody crying in the locker room and there's nothing you can do the next day. And that was what I kind of challenged our group is, hey, tonight was tough, talking last week after Sanez loss, but the season's not over. You know what I mean? Get up, remember this feeling, and let's not let it happen again. Um, I think we, we will turn that into a motivating thing and, and turn that into the punch in the mouth that we needed, absolutely. Yeah, well, I know I'm motivated for this week. <laughs> right, I'm, absolutely. I'm ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, with that, you know, let's jump into uh, some of these wrap-up questions. Yeah. 
to you know to get this all finished up and but before we yeah, get sure. into that yeah what do you got message from our sponsor hey tiger fans i bet if you're anything like my partner hank you probably need to go see an eye doctor yes sir and if you do we have the place for you the Doring Vision Center is a primary care optometry clinic located in downtown Maslin. They have a wide variety of eyeglass frames, everything from budget packages to designer brands. And if you're like me and prefer contacts over glasses because glasses are a hassle, they have uh, the technology to fit all types of lenses. They treat most conditions, and they also take emergency visits as well. At the Doring Vision Center, most insurances are accepted and you even have a good chance of getting a same-day appointment. So come on down to see former Maslin Tiger, Dr. Ben Doring, at 35 Erie Street North, Suite 110, Maslin 44646. And that's right next to the Alibi Bar, for those of you who know the local watering holes. Or you can check them out on Facebook at the Doring Vision Center. That's D-O-E-R-I-N-G Vision Center. Or give them a call at 330-880-0035. Doring Vision Center, proud supporter of all things Maslin. And we back. So before we get into our uh, end of it, you know, ranking kind of deal, we have the FW Runner and Sons question oh, yes. of the week. Yes, we do. So, uh, Rob, if I'm not mistaken... That is the your favorite place to eat in Maslin. Mm-mm-mm. You're going to put me on the spot on this one. Yes, My sir. My favorite place to eat in Maslin. And I, I got to go next door, downtown The Root. Uh, if, if you guys are familiar, it was Little Mama's Bakery before. She's, she's, she's right next door to us, down there on the other side of the alley, right across from Smiley's. Great food, great neighbor. Going down to the root. Check them out if you haven't. Nice. The root. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Come clean eating down there. What do they got there? Um, I, I I like to go. They got some different salads. They got a lot of alive foods. Not a lot of these dead foods. It's gonna slow you down. Mm-hmm. So if you want some clean eating, check mm-hmm. them out down at the root. All right. So go to the root downtown Maslin. And that is the F.W. Renner and Sons question of the week. Now, the other question that we're asking uh, this year, you know, besides asking if a Pop-Tart's a ravioli or hot dog's a sandwich or anything like that. Great questions. <laughs> yeah, until somebody brings a, you know, a brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tart covered in pesto. <laughs> not a great time. Not as bad as you would think, but also not a great time. Uh, we're doing rankings, and we're gonna do like a just a top five, kind of kicking it to the guest, let him take over, and then yeah. we'll we'll take it from there. So uh, JP, yeah. I know you got your top five. What do you got? So so we talk about this a lot in the coaches' offices. Is, is I, I picked the top five for my ranking. I went classic '80s movies. I know I got had a couple millennials in here, and I thought I had a one up here if we went. <laughs> We went 80s movies because I don't think either one of these guys was around in the 80s. No. Uh, Absolutely not, but don't worry. My list is fire. You got a good list. <laughs> we always joke. We got guys like Spencer Lino in the locker room who wasn't around in the 80s either, yeah. so we always got to get them get hip to some of this culture. So <laughs> I thought we'd take the opportunity to hit some of these. So I got is my number five movie. I'm going to start at number five and work my way up to the best movie of the 80s. I had Back to the Future. Ended up being three of these. 
Marty McFly was one of the best actors of the of the uh, of the decade of the '80s. Great movie. Uh, number four, I went with Arnold and the Terminator, the original Terminator. Still a classic to this day. If I catch it on on a rainy day, I might sit through it. Uh, number three, I went with the with uh, Scarface, Ooh. Al Pacino, uh, Life and Time down in Cuba, down in Miami. <laughs> And we, we, we got a little uh, taste of a different world with Scarface, but that was a great movie. Um, number two, and, and, th- and this, was a, uh, this was a real dilemma for me, deciding between one and two, both great mm-hmm. movies. Um, I went with Rocky Four with my number two Ooh. movie of the 80s. Um, great American film, uh, U.S. versus Russia. With the U.S. coming out on top when Rocky defeated Ivan Drago by knockout in the last mm-hmm. round. Great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys remember in that movie, we lost, uh, we lost uh, what was my man, Apollo Creed early yeah. in that movie. So R.I.P. to Apollo. R.I.P. to my guy. Uh, you know, it was real tough getting through the Rocky movies. I know there's a couple candidates there. All the Rocky movies were great. But I went Rocky Four there. My number one movie of the 80s is Roadhouse. Oh. It's a great movie if you wow. haven't seen it. The Double Roadhouse. D was, a, was, a, was, an, was ahead of its time. Live music at the bar, and Dalton did a great job cleaning up the riffraff there. Yeah. Roadhouse at number one. That's a, that's a pretty solid list. Right. I'll be honest. I've seen some. I There's others I haven't seen. Got to check them out. But... I think this is right now for all the listeners, including me, a list of movies that you know you should check out. I think I'll go next, because Rob, you seem the least prepared for this. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. At number five, I'm going with Platoon. Great movie. Oh, you know, great. I'm partial to the war movies, so hand up. But Charlie Sheen in that, I think overall, just Mm -hmm. incredible movie. Mm -hmm. Number four, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Just second greatest Christmas movie of all time. That was my follow-up question. Is Die Hard a yeah. Christmas movie? Absolutely. It Definitely. is a Christmas movie. Okay. It's, I'm there, with you on that. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't just happen during Christmas. I think Christmas is an integral part to the plot, yep. which makes it a Christmas movie. Christmas isn't the same without Die Hard. Damn right. Number three, you already mentioned it, uh, Rocky Four. Mm-hmm. You know, Apollo Creed, if he dies, he dies. Mm-hmm. dies. Just, mm-hmm. it's... It's ingrained, I think, at this point, it's in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, my top two, you didn't mention, which I, I'm very excited about. Right. I'm number, excited to hear them. Number two, Christmas Vacation. Great movie. Ooh. Chevy Chase. Yeah. Mm, okay. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm a big Christmas guy, you like know, it. and just Christmas Vacation overall is an absolutely incredible movie. Mm-hmm. I think it stands... Not only against Christmas movies, but against 80s movies in general. Mm-hmm. It stands it's right there at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. But number one, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Classic. Again, a, another Vietnam War movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Arlie Ermey at the beginning is, is uh, you know, the sergeant, the uh, drill sergeant. Second half of the movie, you know, a lot of people have some strong opinions on that, but I think second half of the movie still holds strong. Mm-hmm. It's just a great quality movie, top to bottom. Nice. Rob, what do you got? All right, so here's my top five. I, I didn't really get a chance to put them in order. Like you said, I'm the, I'm the least prepared. I'm sorry. 
Um, so my top five movies in no particular order. I guess I could probably figure it out if I wanted to. Um, but Blues Brothers mm. is uh, that's a top five movie for me. It's mm-hmm. something that I watched like when I, when I was a little kid. My dad always you know liked the Blues Brothers, so that was something that I'm kind of partial to. Um, I think everybody's kind of on the same board here with Rocky IV. Uh, it, it's just you know an absolutely amazing movie. Mm-hmm. It's it's honestly the only Rocky movie that I'll kind of just sit down and watch if it's mm-hmm. on TV. Um, I think it, it, it's just that good. Um, if, you, if you haven't seen any of the Rocky movies, I mean that that's the one I shame watch. on you. If yeah, you haven't but seen if you haven't yes. seen them, that yeah, that's, yeah, that is not good. But you know, Rocky IV, I, I just always have felt is is the best one. Um, I have Die Hard on my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's absolutely a great movie. It is a Christmas movie. Every single year when we do our little makeshift, you know, I don't I don't really want to call it a Christmas party, but it's a it's, it's a, a Christmas celebration. It's a party that has yeah. to do with Christmas, and we watch it. Is, it is a to, to be completely honest, it is a drunken celebration of the season. You know, it's we're commiserating mass and football coming to an end, mm-hmm. and we're celebrating the season of Saint Nick yeah. and the birth of Jesus Christ coming into our and uh, you know. and part of that celebration is watching Die Hard. We do it every year. Absolutely, great um, tradition. Also on the list is Karate Kid. Nice. Um, you know, classic, you know, I guess anything from the eighties, I guess it has to be a classic to be on the list, but mm-hmm. Karate Kid, um, and to round up my top five is Caddyshack. Awesome. Ooh. Another great movie. Caddyshack. What a movie. That's a good one. Yeah. Fun fact about Rocky four. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've got a guy on staff, coach Mike Stone, that coaches our fullbacks and tight end position. And he has actually admitted that he rooted for Ivan Drago in Rocky four. <laughs> Really? really, big Drago how you, fan. How do you root for the Soviet? I, I want to say he was he was a big fan of the Soviet, and I think that was a little bit of why uh, he was well, a I big mean, Ivan Drago fan. In real life, Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren, right. amazing guy, yeah. yep. just absolutely yep. amazing guy. But Blows Bill Nye the Science Guy out of the water. He is more accredited than Bill Nye. This is this is true, um, but in the movie. Yeah. In the movie, how do yeah. you not root for Rocky? He was a big supporter of the USSR during the Cold War, and it just really, <laughs> it really carried over to Ivan. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, do you have any other honorable mentions you want to bring up? Because I have like quite a list that I'm like, I, I was just going through '80s movies, and I'm like, wow, that is like right there. I I, I miss Ghostbusters. Um. Ooh. That that was a good one. I I wasn't a. I guess a diehard fan of Ghostbusters, but that's definitely an iconic '80s movies. And I want to say one of the Batman movies was it with Michael Keating? Might have been. It might have been I 90s. think it was just Batman. Batman. Just, yeah, just, Batman, just the yeah. '80s. Yeah. That was a good one too. Jack Nicholas's Joker. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh-huh. That one, I think. One. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting my decades mixed up. <laughs> no, now, you're but. you're right on that one. It's uh, I think that's third highest Joker behind gotcha. Heath Ledger, mm-hmm. and then the early 2000s animated series. That Joker. I've always heard that was good. He that was a good Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, voiced by a guy on my uh, honorable mentions list here. If you'd like to hear. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, I guess on that subject of Joker, voiced by none other than Luke Skywalker himself. Nice. From mm. Return of the Jedi. Nice. You know, it, you're either a Star Wars person or you're not. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're really into one of the movies and like not yeah. into the others. But I'm I'm a Star Wars nerd, 
in so much of the movies, they kind of, it it kind of stops there. Mm-hmm. Nothing against you if you you know you got a bunch of X wings hanging in your house, right? But uh, <laughs> not for me. Um, what else do I got? Uh, Top Gun and Beetlejuice. Mm. Oh, okay. Two mm-hmm. that were in my top five until I found others to yeah. kind of fill in. Mm-hmm. Got Just, yeah, high quality movies there. Uh, Major League. Another, uh, another Charlie movie. Sheen. You left that one off, yeah. Yeah. You know, another Charlie Sheen one. Big Cleveland kind of regional area. Mm-hmm. Just Wild quality. thing. Oh, yeah. Wild thing. Yeah. You make my heart sing. Mm-hmm. Gone. Let's see. What else we got? Heartbreak Ridge. Nice. I think that was our first sighting of old Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. But he was still, like, yoked. Right. I th- <laughs> right. He was on whatever the hell else that... Uh, so- you know, Sly Stallone was mm-hmm. at that time when Rocky was coming out and stuff. Because like, I've never seen an eighty-year-old man on like a forty-five-year-old powerlifter's body before. But <laughs> he's not that old. It was that it was that raw egg that Mickey made Rocky drink every morning. It yeah, it was that raw egg. Straight That's broken. it. Um, but Heartbreak Ridge, just high-quality movie. Uh, let's see, Star Wars, First Blood. Rambo. Rambo. Yeah. You know, you got the first yeah. Rambo movie coming out in the eighties. Just another. Can't beat it. Another interesting fact on our staff that Kale Miller has not seen any of the Rambo movies. Ooh. Oh, Kale. Right. Kale, I would just dog the shit out of you right yeah. now if I had also seen a single one of the Rambo mm. movies. Okay, well then, uh, well, while we're admitting things. Yeah. <laughs> no Rambo. So it looks I, like you two need to get with Kale. It's Listen, on the get, list. Get, Kale, get a, Kale it's can on come the over. list. We'll, we'll make a movie night of it. Watch Rambo, It'll Kale. Your kids I, yeah, I mean, we it. already have a humongous list that you need to watch, Hank. So. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get to it. Oh, Why you? Is that the end of your list? No, I, you thought, said, I thought you had more. No, you said oh. while we're on the list. And then no, I, no, no. I, I'm talking about the list that we Okay. The okay. list we have. Okay, last two. Last two I got. Mm-hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. and Indiana Jones in general. Because right. while I looked it up, Raiders, uh, Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. and Last Crusade all happened in the 80s. And all three classics. Holy hell are they all classics. Yeah. Like, it's it's hard to it's hard to beat any of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think temp, between the three, Temple's, like, the not strongest. Mm-hmm. I don't want to call it the weakest because it's still a great, great movie. movie. Yep. But, uh, yeah, just all tremendous movies. And the last thing on the list, I really want to watch it, even though horror is not my genre, The Thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is, like, I think that kind of mm. sets the tone of, from what I've read, right. about horror genre and just kind of, like, just horror movies in general. And it seems like a kick-ass movie because I am all about just frying aliens with a flamethrower. Got to be honest with you, I never saw that one. Somebody that's from the 80s, I've never saw that one. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Right. I mean, it's a thing that's like, you know, you're either with it or you're not. Now I want to check it out after that preview you gave. You got it, You got me interested. It's, it's definitely something different. Mm-hmm. Even like a guy knowing the the outcome, sure. how it all plays out. Yep. It looks, ex- it's really good. Awesome. Like there's a reason they... Remade a really shitty one, uh, I think half a decade ago, but uh-huh. still. Looks like an incredible movie. Yes. You gonna say anything, do anything, Rob? No, I I, I don't have much to say to that. I'm, I'm really mad that Amari Cooper just got stolen from me in my fantasy draft. Oh, sucks to suck. Yeah, I know. Huh. 
It was lined up perfect. I thought I was going to get him, and I didn't. Nope. No, you did not. And I got left with... Yeah, I was, I was in a bad spot to draft there. I'm sorry. I, I was distracted. All right. So you have any other other top 80s movies? Tangentially 80s movies? Mm. I mean, I mean I'm sure there's a bunch of them, but I mean, I, I feel like when I went through, and the ones you guys mentioned, I, I found some myself, and I was scrolling through, and you know, I think we mentioned a lot of them. Um... You know, there's a few that we looked and they weren't quite in the 80s, but mm-hmm. that's all right. Um, but I mean, before we get going, JP, we know you got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, shout out, you know, what are you doing? Huh. What do you got going on? What can people help support? <laughs> gotcha. I uh, got a couple projects rolling right now. Um, first and foremost, check out the Tiger Store uh, downtown. We referenced the route earlier. It's right next to the route, two stores over from the route. Uh, right across from Smiley's Pizza downtown, uh, TigerStore55.com is the online store that we're actually getting ready to relaunch here. Um, I know we've had a lot of uh, outpouring from Tiger fans outside of Maslin across the country that wanted some gear. So TigerStore55.com. Um, we're also getting ready to launch another project called Spirit of Stark. Um, that's going to be a little bit more inclusive of all of Star County, not just Maslin. Um, you guys have probably seen the building in front of the rec center that we're mm-hmm. going to be doing that in. Uh, so we got a few things going on. Also, check out, uh, we got a podcast uh, rolling to In the Trenches, um, where, we, where we really focus on small business and some of the daily grind of small businesses. Uh, you'll see a lot more of that stuff coming out if you check out the Simon Says Promotions on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we'll push all that stuff through the Simon Says Promotions platform with the Tiger Store, Spirit of Stark, in the trenches. Um, we're also I'm also working with another uh, coach on staff, Dan Studer. He's our strength coach. Um, he's kind of taking charge on it. Uh, the It's a podcast on strength, training, and conditioning. It's going to be called On the Warpath. Uh, we did episode one. We put that out. I'll share that again on the Simon Says social media platforms. But check out Simon Says. We try to uh, kind of keep everything straight on there. A lot of moving parts to this thing right now, but it's a good time. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's something I've been trying to uh, keep up on mm-hmm. uh, is all of that stuff, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just in there a couple weeks ago. Or, a couple days ago, mm-hmm. I got some awesome swag. Nice. Uh, I'm a big fan of the hoodie t-shirt yep, type yep, deal. Yep. And if that's anything like at all your style, go there. You know, they got a lot of hoodie kind of style stuff. Mm-hmm. Long long sleeve like t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you can really just make it to a cutoff. And we're getting well. and we're getting ready to uh, fill the store back up, restocking everything. Um, it, it, with with the season kind of you know not knowing what's gonna happen there, uh, but we're back open. Uh, we're rolling. Stop down, see us. Get your tiger gear. Also, big shout out to Tremont Coffee, giving me the juice to stay up tonight and talk to you guys. They're located right down on Erie Street. Check them out. Best coffee in the city. Rob, you look like you want to talk. Yeah, I mean, make sure to check out, you know, all of these places we talked about. You know, check out all the things JP's got going on. Your quality stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's great to the city. You know, he's great to us. Um, you know, support him. 
and everything that he does. Check them out and, you know, check out everybody else that we've mentioned because, uh, you know, supporting local really makes a big difference in the community. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess beyond that, you know, JP, it's great to have you here, brother. Always a pleasure. Um, Go check out his podcast. Go check out Stu's podcast. You know, Stu's basically just a fourth co-host at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, beyond that... Go Tigers. Be warned. Be warned. Go Tigers.